The Selectors Show, Let's Talk About ESG, is sponsored by Invesco. Today's professional investors are overloaded with more information than ever. At Invesco, we help professional investors see the possibilities ahead by cutting through the noise to the ideas that matter. Visit Invesco.com to see how. Invesco, let's advance together. Capital at risk. Hello and welcome to CityWare Selectors podcast, Let's Talk About ESG. Joining me today is Natasha Landel-Mills, Head of Stewardship and Partner at Sarazan and Partners. Natasha, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Natasha, one of the latest big initiatives that you've spearheaded was an open letter to auditors asking them to improve their climate disclosures. I know that some big firms were in that letter, like KPMG, for example. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if you could walk me through the reasons why you decided to write it and then what is it trying to achieve? No, absolutely. So we, we wrote, as you mentioned, to the big four audit firms in the UK uh, recently to remind them of their duties under existing regulations, under existing laws, to ensure that there's no material misrepresentation in company accounts. Now, the, the reason we've done this, and this is part of quite a long, long-running campaign, and we wrote actually first the auditors back in January 2019, so this is our second letter, and it's important to, to say that, Um, is that in the end, it's company accounts, companies' financial statements. So I'm not talking about sustainability reporting here or climate reporting. I'm talking about the financial statements um, drive capital allocation decisions, okay, by investors who look at the accounts to decide whether this is a profitable entity, et cetera, but also by executives themselves when they're deciding where to deploy capital. So if those financial statements leave out climate factors, right, then you're gonna get misallocation of capital. And that's extremely dangerous for the planet. And it's also extremely bad for shareholders who are looking for enduring and sustainable returns. So the auditors, if you like, are the police. What they do is they come in and they look at the financial statements drawn up by the companies and signed off by the directors and say, are these accounts presenting a true and fair view? Are they actually telling us the truth about the economic health of this entity? And they should be, as part of that process, taking into account decarbonization. And what we wrote to them to ask is for them to confirm to us that they would start doing that. Because as I said, we wrote back in January 2017, and what we had seen from an analysis of their performance is it was very weak. There was very little progress on the auditor side in disclosing to shareholders how they were taking into account decarbonization. And above all, how are they considering a transition to a 1.5 degree pathway as part of the audit process? And that was the point. And I should say that letter was signed by approximately 4.5 trillion in assets, so a very large group of investors. So from an auditor perspective, where we have a vote at the AGM to reappoint an auditor for each company, it's really important that they're responsive to their ultimate clients' uh, needs and requirements. From the perspective of the asset management firm, why is it important for those auditors to do a better job at disclosing these things? Uh, How does that impact your investment cases, for example? Well, it's very important because, of course, we rely on the financial statements, on the numbers produced by the company to be able to hold them to account. The numbers tell us what performance has been. Uh, you know, where they might be getting it wrong. 
you know, what, what bits of the business are doing better than others. Now, if those numbers are not integrating the very real economic transition that we see as we, as we decarbonize, then they'll be misleading. And in the end, as investors, we will be deploying capital into the wrong things. Now, that's bad for investment. It's also bad for the planet. I know that one of the biggest engagements that you had in the last year even was with Shell. And I'm trying to get probably an example of why accounting matters when it comes to decarbonization. And I think this is one of the examples that actually illustrates it nice. Yeah, uh, it, it, I, I would agree with you. Yes, we, we started engaging with Shell in 2017. We had a very constructive engagement, I, I should say. And we particularly started to look at their financial statements. Once again, uh, because we could see this as a vital lever for ensuring that capital deployment would shift towards a 1.5 degree pathway. If the numbers are not 1.5 degree aligned, then the capital deployment would not be 1.5 degree aligned. So we looked at their financial statements and what we discovered was that the critical accounting assumptions they were using, the forward-looking critical accounting assumptions, as, as I mentioned earlier, completely were seen to completely ignore decarbonization. So we engaged with them on that basis. Now, this is a company that had, since 2017, has been ratcheting up its ambition with regards to climate and back. And then in 2020, they actually set their net zero by 2050 goal. Now, so whilst they were making these statements in the front half of their annual report, the financial statements, as I say, were largely radio silent on climate risk. So our engagement progressed. We grew a big investor coalition from ourselves to roughly 4.5 trillion most recently. And we we asked them to, um, to explain to us how their accounts were considering climate risk. And what we saw at Shell in particular was that they brought down their forward-looking oil, long-term oil price assumption from $80 back in 2017 to $70 and today $60. And with that, they've had to make tens of billions of impairments on their balance sheet. When we focus on accounting firms and their efforts in uh, terms of disclosing climate risks or carbon impact and things like that, are there any companies that are already making a good headway in that direction? Yeah, well, actually, uh, no, not enough, um, but we're really at the beginning of this of this effort, if, if you like, from um, in terms of the scope of the companies with whom we've engaged. So where we have engaged, as we've mentioned, Shell, but also BP and Total, we've seen similar shifts in their critical accounting assumptions. And I should also say the auditors, which was the point you started with, have also increased their disclosure because you have the financial statements presented by and signed off by the board, but then the auditors check those statements and then they make a statement to shareholders. And both of those, we've seen better disclosures. Um, also in um, uh, other European companies where we've engaged, such as any NL, uh, National Grid also has now much better accounting disclosures. But you know, this is a handful of company, if you look at this more globally. Um, so the, the engagement is now being expanded in scope. We're working very closely with the International Investor Group on Climate Change. We're spearheading a work stream on this. Um, last November, we wrote to 36 uh, European listed companies. Likewise, we're working very closely with investors in the United States. 
Um, CalPERS in particular, the US Pension Fund is, is um, showing a lot of leadership on this. Series is helping to support other investors. Uh, so, so we're starting to see it spread into other jurisdictions. And, and I would expect that to not just continue, but to accelerate. And the reason is that this is absolutely key to shifting capital, as I mentioned, but also because we have existing rules and requirements under which this falls. So there is no need for new standards. There's no need for new laws. Indeed, one of the questions we're raising is that whether these accounts that are being presented ignoring decarbonization are in fact uh, misrepresenting and therefore falling short of existing laws. And, and there's a real need there for enforcement by regulators. I know that you've mentioned before that EY published a climate-related report recently. Can you, walk, can you walk me through it and uh, explain why this is an important development in the audit and space? Well, EY, what EY did um, is at Shell, because they're the auditor at Shell, um, they responded very explicitly to a publication uh, that, that we helped to, to pull together that set out investor expectations for Paris-aligned accounts and audits. So within that publication, there are four very explicit expectations for auditors. EY took those expectations and within the Shell annual report on accounts in their um, specific section where they report to shareholders, they included a page which went through each of those expectations and they provided commentary. So the disclosure I would say is, is certainly best in class um, in terms of anything else that is out there. Of course, what they concluded, which actually reflected management's uh, similar conclusion by the, I mean, in fact, precisely the same conclusion by management, which is the accounts are not Paris aligned. So that's obviously not a good thing, but the fact that EY and management made that statement is incredibly important because what it does is it helps us uh, as investors allocate capital, but it also provides us with a basis to continue our engagement. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned four expectations. I know that we probably won't be able to dig into every single one, but can you give me an example of what is that they were requiring to be shown? In November, working with the International um, Investor Group on Climate Change, IGCC, we published a document called Investor Expectations for Paris-Aligned Accounts and Audits. And in that, we set out five expectations for directors and four expectations for auditors. They were very clear. And in essence... What we asked the order to do was to provide an affirmation, so a very clear statement to shareholders in the report to shareholders as to how they had considered the energy transition, decarbonization, and in particular, a 1.5 degree pathway as part of the audit process. So we wanted them to tell us that they'd done that. Secondly, we also wanted them to give us disclosures as to uh, whether the accounts were indeed Paris or net zero aligned. Um, and if they were not, we asked them to give us some additional disclosures as to what would the financial implications be if management had used net zero aligned assumptions. So how exposed were they, if you like? And finally, we asked them to give us an indication of whether uh, dividends were at risk from a 1.5 degree pathway. So would the capital strength of the entity 
um, be resilient such that they can could continue to pay dividends because of dividends, of course, very important for, for shareholders. Today's professional investors are overloaded with more information than ever, from digesting market and economic data to probing new trends and ideas. At Invesco, we help professional investors see the possibilities ahead by cutting through the noise to the ideas that matter. With a proven past and an eye on the future, we bring the latest thought-provoking investment analysis and diverse ideas directly to professional investors. Visit Invesco.com to see how. Invesco, let's advance together. Capital at risk. And where does the executive compensation come into it, if at all? Uh, why it is important to actually look at bonuses, for instance, in this context? That's a very, very important question. Um, there's quite a lot uh, right now on whether incentives um, that executives are receiving are aligning them with the 1.5 degree scenario. My, my view is that they're not. We have had adjustments to um, uh, remuneration packages, to bonuses, to LTIPs, long-term incentive plans, where you've got, let's say, a 10% weight that's given to carbon emissions. The problem with that is that 90% is taking you in the other direction. And most generally, 90% is based on metrics that come from the financial statements. So in other words, if the financial statements are flawed because they miss out climate factors, then the REM will be flawed. You'll get bonuses based on illusory profits. So that is the concern. And that's precisely why to fix REM, you need to fix the accounts. Natasha, one of the things that uh, come to the fore consistently is actually regulations. And we have obviously SFDR coming from uh, the EU and now, uh, FCA also published a paper about supposed ESG categories. Um, I was wondering from the perspective of what you are focusing on, does that potentially create confusion because there are multiple uh, requirements now, even within uh, Europe, let's say? Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, the, the, there's a plethora of different sustainability standards and requirements. Um, I don't think we should be surprised about that. This is a new area, so there will inevitably be some, um, some experimentation, right? And in a way, that's healthy because it will help us get to a better set of standards in the end. Um, notwithstanding the clear, important need of getting consistency and rigor in those sustainability standards, my big concern is that this is diverting attention away from getting our financial statements right. So as I mentioned, in the end, it's the financial statements that drives capital allocation and drives incentives. So whether or not you have wonderful sustainability standards alongside, if those numbers are wrong, we're going to get the wrong result. So having those standards, the sustainability standards is important, but not if it's at the expense of fixing the financial statements. And right now, as I say, my concern is that, uh, that attention is shifting and we're all focusing on the new toy. But the problem is we've got to get our existing uh, system functioning properly. Otherwise, we'll be like pushing water uphill. We'll always be working against those incentives that are ingrained in the financial system. If we elaborate a little bit on standardization, um, 
what kind of role does it have in connection to litigation risk? So where are we kind of like hidden into problems, let's say, when we look at it from this perspective? Because I know you've discussed that also at uh, Green Horizon Summit uh, during COP. Yeah, yeah. No, I think litigation risk is is, is a real uh, a, a real risk. Um, uh, and, and what I would say is that Again, I'll come back to to the accounting, you know, we have existing laws, we have existing regulations, and we have existing standards, the international financial reporting standards in in in, in Europe and the UK. Um, and to the extent that those are not actually being properly implemented. So there's misrepresentation in the accounts because we're ignoring a very real economic phenomenon, which is decarbonization then absolutely, I think there's potential litigation risk there. I think there's also regulatory risk because regulators should be starting to, and we are seeing this with the Financial Reporting Council, they have issued actually, I think just uh, last week as well, they've issued another reminder that um, directors as well as auditors need to make sure that they're properly implementing the standards today. So clearly there's risks associated with that. There's also, um, risks, at least in the UK, under our Companies Act, uh, Section 172, directors are obliged to have regard for environmental and societal implications of, of their activities. As far as I'm aware, that has not been uh, tested in court. Um, but it seems to me if you've got a requirement in law and it's not being implemented, then, then there, could be, there could be risks there. And from the perspective of an asset manager investing in companies, engaging with companies, that litigation risk, do you engage with them about it? So what are you saying to companies you invest in? We, we don't have a particular focus on litigation risk here. I mean, I would just comment that that is something I believe that directors need to be cognizant of and ensuring that they're, they're not um, putting themselves at risk, frankly. Um, you know, when we engage with with boards, it's uh, clearly going to be case specific, but we'll be raising our concerns about uh, whether their um, strategies are aligned with a 1.5 degree pathway. Um, how can they demonstrate to us that their capital deployment plans are aligned with that pathway? In other words, that it's not just talk that is being implemented. Um, you know, just to take a recent example where we engage with a, a large listed oil and gas company, you know, who's made a, a 2050 net zero commitment, we wanted to understand how the various elements of that commitment, such as the implementation, implementation of carbon capture and storage, had been costed. Um, and, and in fact, um, it hadn't been costed. So, so it was a commitment that had yet not been reflected in actual strategy and capex plans and and it's that disconnect that we're really um focusing in on and likewise the accounting element because as i've said uh, already you know if their accounts are not aligned with that trajectory then then it's going to be very very hard for us to convince them to take the necessary steps uh to 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 implement their ambitions when we kind of think about all of this, uh, did you welcome the introduction of International Sustainable Standards Board? Was that a positive uh, move and move in the right direction? 
Absolutely, we welcome that, right? The ISSB um, is a step towards getting harmonization of sustainability standards, but once again, let it not deflect attention away from the very important standards we have that are not being implemented. I mean, you know, if we can't implement existing standards, how we expect to implement new standards? Let's just run, walk before we run. Um, you know, the other thing I would mention, of course, is um, the uh, under the IASB, the International Accounting Standards Board, which develops accounting standards, you know, it can take sometimes, you know, over a decade to develop a new standard. So I do have a fear that this new entity, the ISSB, um, uh, need, you know, that, that, that you will get similar, very long timeframes to gain agreement because it's trying to gain agreement across a number of jurisdictions. And so there needs to be a mechanism to fast track that. Yeah, so, you know, we just do not have 10 years to wait to be uh, developing standards that, that are consistent. Another panel you took part uh, in during COP was actually the one organized by Carbon Tracker. And from what I understood, you're also uh, one of the uh, board members or director there. Um, so can you walk me through those topics that you've discussed at that point and why they matter? The Carbon Tracker panel, which was on the last day of the COP, um, was, was uh, reporting back the results of a very important review that they had done in partnership with um, uh, PRI, um, which was essentially to, you know, to, to take the investor expectations that we had developed with IGCC and to say, okay, we've got these investor expectations. How are they being implemented in carbon intensive companies? So they looked at 107 companies globally, carbon intensive companies, so companies where you would expect to see the accounting disclosures that I have mentioned. And they found, um, not surprising to me, but nevertheless extremely disappointingly, that, that hardly, you know, that a very small proportion, so I believe it was 30% um, or less of accounts uh, actually referred to climate risks. And even it was even fewer auditors in their auditor reports referred to climate risk. And then if you want to ask how many were actually net zero aligned, none, absolutely none. Now, those who had made most progress were those who we've been in partnership with other investors been engaging with. So the, the entities I mentioned earlier on in the oil and, European oil and gas sector where we've been engaged, we have absolutely seen progress. So I think actually it's a really good testament to the power of engagement to drive change. Um, but the report, uh, it, which is called Flying Blind, um, is a really important uh, demonstration of the failure to implement, again, in my view, existing accounting requirements and that should absolutely be a wake-up call for boards for auditors as well as regulators natasha you participated uh, actively at least in two days of cop 26 uh, and obviously there are conflicted views uh, out there about what the conference actually managed to achieve so from your perspective especially sitting on the asset management side as head of stewardship, what were the biggest positive uh, moves that we actually witnessed there, but also maybe what was missing uh, from your perspective? Mm. 
Yeah, I, I think on the positives, we clearly had a number of, you know, um, material announcements to do with methane, deforestation, uh, the GFANS, the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, um, some really bold and big announcements. Um, so that is certainly positive. And the IEA did an analysis of those commitments and they uh, calculated that from before the conference where we were on a one point, excuse me, a 2.1 degree pathway um, to after the conference or at least halfway through when they, they did their analysis of those commitments, um, they would amount to getting us onto a, a 1.8 degree pathway. So, you know, that, that's, that's, you know, that's not small bit, right? In, in climate terms, that's certainly impressive. But I'm afraid, um, you know, I still feel that uh, the, the, the question of how you turn that into practice remains elusive. And, you know, if I were to characterize the divide that I now see, I think in the past you had the divide between climate denial and climate awareness or acceptance, right? I think now we're in a situation where we have a divide between climate complacency and climate urgency. And in some cases, climate anxiety. And I think that that's quite an interesting development, you know, increasing levels of mental health issues, particularly in the young, around our inability to, to respond to this crisis, the enormity of the crisis that we face. But that's how I would, would characterize it today. Climate complacency versus climate urgency. One is looking back and saying, oh, haven't we come a long way? Aren't we doing well? Aren't these promises grand? To the others who are saying, that's all very well, but look how far we still have to go and it's not good enough. And I think that is the divide and that's the divide that needs to be bridged. Natasha, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. The Selectors Show, Let's Talk About ESG, is sponsored by Invesco. Today's professional investors are overloaded with more information than ever. At Invesco, we help professional investors see the possibilities ahead by cutting through the noise to the ideas that matter. Visit Invesco.com to see how. Invesco. Let's advance together. Capital at risk.